Welcome to another edition, another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. Joining myself, Nate the Great, Stuart Court, is Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? Stuart, I'm not going to lie, I'm nervous. We've had, in the last six months, some big guests. We've had Lofer, we've had Cagey, we've had Doug Baldwin, of all people. And now we're getting, like, Mr. 2021 join us today on the show. And I, I can't control myself, Stuart, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm, I'm shitting it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as, as always, it is good to get to hear and speak to one of our regulars, one of our pals from the Athletic and the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. As Adam said, Mister Twenty Twenty One himself, Michael Sean Dugar. How are we, sir? Man, I'm, you guys have lowered the bar here to get, to get me <laughs> on, and that's a heavy hitters. Those are people I haven't even had on the show, man. I haven't had Doug, haven't had Lofa text me back, hit him twice for something like last year. So, uh, yeah, you guys are. Moving on up, it is great to see. Yeah, man. Uh, so, I mean, this time last week you were breaking the Shaquille Griffin news twenty seconds before Ian Rappaport. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. That, that that stuff doesn't matter to like anyone else but journalists. But, <laughs> it, but it does matter a ton to us. I mean, like when companies evaluate a writer, um, they look at your ability to break news, right? Like if you have that stuff on your resume, you're you're in a different tier of writer, particularly in the NFL, where there's only what it's we can count them all in our hands. Tom Palacero, Mike Garofolo, Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport. That's about it. Yeah. You know, Diana Rossini every once in a while, Josina Anderson every once in a while. And Field Yates gets a lot of transactions. Uh, but I really just named a bunch of people from NFL Network and ESPN, right? Is the gist of that. So if you're not in that little bubble where you got a machine behind you um basically doing what Josina's doing independent that's hard work and like you said I only got it probably like yeah 30 seconds before Schefter and and Rappaport but that 30 seconds is is big man because for those 30 seconds they got to cite me Bleacher Report off to cite me and Yahoo and whoever else um so yeah then that's I take that to the bosses like yo this is what I this is what I bring I can get a tweet out faster than Schefter so uh, (laughs) I mean like but joking aside, like I, I read an article with Schefter a couple of years ago, and he has a point system for every player that's going in free agency, and he counts his points versus Rappaport. I swear to God, there's an article on ESPN from maybe two or three free agencies ago, and they have a point system. And the you know each player as you go down, so I don't know who the f- number one free agent would be, but I mean, Shaq's probably 10th this this offseason going. Yeah. Yeah, that was probably that. That's also makes you feel really dope about it, because like, it wasn't. And this is no shade to, to Nick necessarily, but I didn't like break the Nick Ballore extension, right? Or the <laughs> that was a re-signing, you know. And no, again, no shade to Nick, but fullback, you know, low-profile player. Whereas Shaq was probably one of the top thirty free agents available, yeah. right? Like that, that that is a bigger, you know, deal. So yeah, that one that one felt dope. Um, so still, I wish I'd have got more. I wish I'd have got the Chris Carson deal. I wish I'd have got um there's another one ethan's deal but baby steps baby steps it's <laughs> well, you really doing, hard to get you those. you were doing your own show during the chris carson uh news when that broke i think yeah yeah but even then i helped i was able to confirm it in like 30 seconds mm-hmm. but i was like i was 60 seconds before that i'd have got the text even if <laughs> i didn't or the call even if i didn't respond because i was on my own show it would have been nice to just get the heads up 
and know that I at least had it beforehand. But it's it's all right. And like I said, no one cares about that stuff other than than journalists. But if you're in journalism, yeah, that may that matters a lot uh, to you. And I've explained that to some players and agents before, because some of them legitimately don't know, especially the newer agents or some like players for sure. Are like, oh, really? Sure, I'll just tell you then. You know, but it's just like you don't know, and they don't know until you like break it down for them. Yeah, some earlier where someone said that like Rosenhouse, uh, Todd France, like six, seven agents have like a quarter of the NFL player stock. So they have like 320 players between them. There's only like 1,300 in the league. It's, it's wow. Someone put that stat out there. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, every deal that broke Monday, the Monday of free, first day of Francie was Rosenhouse. Rosenhouse had every deal. It was, it was everything that Schefter and Rob had was per Drew Rosenhouse, per Drew Rosenhouse, per Drew Rosenhouse. Uh, it was it was insane how many how many deals he had. and that shows you how far about how like how stacked the deck is against everyone who's not a part of these NFL Network ESPN yeah. machines. So like and there's a lot of writers who are like and I understand I'm just like man screw that I'm not about to be chasing down these scoops thirty seconds before somebody else tweets it and I understand that too I get it I much I think it's a lot easier and probably better on mental health to like. If you can get them, get them, but do it so you can actually have an article with it as well. And it'd be something where you really like the per- whoever the dude was in Spokane who broke that Mike Ayupati was retiring. Like clearly there was an interview with Mike Ayupati. Ayupati played ba- uh, football up there, kind of where Spokane is. And it was, I think someone, the guy who broke Philip Rivers' retirement, I think was at the San Diego yeah, Union Tribune. Tribune yeah. I want to say like stuff like that is probably like, better and more fun because it's also like a you're getting more traffic to an actual story not just a third party app in twitter and you actually are like it's it's the culmination of like a relationship that you have built somehow you know philip had one with that writer i'm sure and then mike probably had one with the spokane newspaper or the writer or something like those are probably more fulfilling I think, but there's, it's still fun to chase down the breaking news. Too. Yeah, when I saw that Opati and it was Spokane, I thought it might be your man Theo who was breaking it because obviously didn't he, he covered it at Idaho, didn't he, back in the day? Yeah, that was Theo's first interview, I want to yeah. say, uh, as a college kid because Theo went to Idaho as well, and so he was there with 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 uh, Mike at the time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, now it was someone at Theo's paper. Now, now that's bugging me. I don't know who it was, but yeah, like I, I think stuff like that would be dope. Like uh, to use an example if. Um, if KJ was to instead of play like retire this year, instead of just having the tweet that he's doing it, like if we were to sit down for twenty minutes and then it gets announced through an article, that'd be dope, doper mm. than just having, you know, the tweet. So hey yeah. KJ, if you yeah, like, <laughs> he listens, he oh, listens. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, well, Doug Baldwin apparently listens, which is uh, what we found out before last week. I've been interesting few weeks though. Well, several at this point. We'll, um, we'll get all the main topic, obviously, one main topic of all. On that Shaq bit, you reported as well that the Seahawks were in that hunt up until the final few dollar signs were added. That felt a surprise. Uh, should it have been one? Uh, I, I was definitely surprised to see that they were still involved towards the end because I knew what the number would be. And I was subtly trying to hint that to people. Like, because I know <laughs> we just had we just had Joe Fan on our show uh, today and one of the questions I asked Joe was, why do Seahawks fans hate Shaquille Griffin? Because, like, if you – like, my mentions in particular, and apparently Joe's too, there's a lot of, like, good riddance on, like, the Shaq thing. 
not just because someone else paid him, but it was like legit, like, no, we didn't want you no matter really what the deal was. It was very strange. Uh, like, but I knew, like, I don't really, I knew it didn't really matter what Seahawks fans thought of Shaq. 25-year-old cornerbacks with a pro ball on their resume get paid. That's just mm-hmm. how it is. You know, I don't really, I don't care if you do kill somebody. Like, like that's just kind of how it works. You know, I think it was kind of hard for me to grasp at first. And I talked to people about the cornerback market and looked around and started crunching numbers and projecting salaries and looking at the comps for Shaq. Like, his, he's got a lot of advanced comps that look like Marcus Peters, Kyle Fuller, um, By, Byron Jones, Byron Jones, who got like 17 million. So like it, it wasn't that surprising he got paid. It was, but I knew that if he was going to be in the 14 year, 14 million a year, for Seattle to be down to the wire, they would have had to at least been competitive. They didn't offer 14 because he probably would have just stayed. But they that probably tells me they were in the 10, 11 mm. range, which is which is uh, that sounds about right because that would mean that they value, excuse me, that means they they value Shaq the same way they did like Jay Reed last year. I think he got what two and 23. Or something like that. So that's probably honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if they offered that same deal to Shaq, um, two, two and twenty-three and a half or whatever. But the problem is that Seattle is going to run into anytime they go after free agents is the length of the deals. I don't think Seattle's given out a three-year deal since Kerry Williams. And mm-hmm. so if you're not willing to, a lot of these guys are free agency. They know this is my only time hitting free agency for the most part, um, like hitting it big. So they want to get paid now. They want to get stability. They want security. They don't want to be on these prove-it deals. There's a lot of stress and anxiety that comes with being on a prove-it deal. I know we throw it out there all willy-nilly, but, like, you're one ankle turning the wrong way from not proving anything, mm-hmm. right? Then you're just – you could be out of the league. Uh, just like – I mean, Justin Britt made it back in, but, like, he was out for a whole year after turning his knee. You know, he was starting center on a decent team, and then, boom, the knee goes the wrong way, then you could be out of the league. So – that's always going to be Seattle's problem. And that was probably, I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine that was the problem. Um, at least one of them, not just the money, but like the length. Yeah. Jacksonville got three years on that. Was Seattle willing to go three again? They haven't gone three with anybody. Even look at some of these deals. Um, Chris Carson's got reported as three. No, it's two. It's, you know, Benson Mayo has got reported as like four, I think. It's just two. Even this Kerry Hyder guy got reported as three. No, it's really just two. Everything's a two-year deal. Puna, Nick Bloor, like all these deals are two-year deals. Uh, so if th- that the fact that they were in it surprised me a little bit, but the fact that they ended up losing didn't surprise me that much. Is, is, is it too easy to read that there's a lack of confidence in what Shaq has left behind at cornerback? Because obviously it's Trey, bought in Keller Witherspoon, uh, Dunbar might be back, and then it's DJ Reed, really. It's, it's not a lot left in the cupboard. Now Shaq has gone back to Florida. Yeah, the so there's two sides too. Like them being involved that deep into the negotiations is is like a sign that they really are a little bit worried about what they have behind um, Shaquille. Um, but the unwillingness to go further, farther, uh, far enough to retain him is very similar to, and not similar, but it means they view Shaq similarly as they do. Um, basically all free agents, which is if you're on the market, something's wrong, right? For the most part, that's kind of the way Seattle looks at it. Um, the Something wrong has varying degrees, whether it's your knee or your attitude or your performance, inconsistency, whatever. If you're on the market, that means the team who knew the most about you didn't want you anymore. Right? Now, sometimes that team was just stupid. 
you know, that's, that just can be how it is. Sometimes that team is a genius. You know, sometimes the team is like, all right, let, we'll let somebody else go pay you five years or something like that. So uh, that tells me that they t- Tiago told me two things by in the pursuit of him to the end. It was that, oh, man, we actually do kind of got to make a push here because we ain't got a lot of options behind this guy uh, at a very premium position. We don't have draft capital. We don't have a lot of money and there aren't a lot of options. He's the best corner on the market. And it also told me that when they eventually bowed out, it's like, mm, there's still a world where you're too rich for our blood. Like we aren't that desperate. Like something is up. Um, and I could, and that's fair. I think for the most free agents, that's the case. Um, I mean, it's probably like even the case with someone like Corey Lindsley, who was just first team all pro and Green Bay was like, see ya. Let's pay this running back. Now, either Green Bay is stupid or something is wrong. Uh, I lean towards Green Bay being stupid because they also then, yeah, gave up their all-pro linemen to pay a running back. That's just your checks and balances are off there. The same team that spent the first-round pick on a quarterback um, and a second-round pick on a running back. Yeah, to then have your quarterback go win MVP and then you pay your other running back. So, But that's a good example of like, oh, man, is something wrong? You know, you could think that about Jack Conklin last year. Like, oh, man, like – why don't the Titans want him if he's that good? So the Seahawks, I think, viewed Shaq as one of those guys like, hmm, something is – it's not enough, whatever it is. Probably not an attitude thing, probably inconsistency uh, thing, which would be fair. His career was very up and down. Uh, but they are in a bit of a tough spot without him, and they realize that too, I can tell. Yeah, It's interesting. I was listening to – uh, I think KJR yesterday and they were saying that, you know, Mike Clay said the Seahawks have a top five roster and you're going into the draft and there's not gaping holes. And I suppose that is one way you, you can look at it because there are bodies in every position. But I look at Shaq Griffin leaving and Akello comes in. So yeah, it, it's a body, but it's a body. And I look at Carlos Dunlap leaves, Mayoa comes back and a guy called Kerry comes in who I've never heard of, who is a body. And I just wonder if, like, the pass rush, you could say, well, you know, they've got two guys there. They had two guys last year. Where do we look at this roster as a whole? Because as far as I can tell, there's not holes in the sense of there's players missing, but I'm not sure that the people plug in those holes are necessarily of the caliber that we need them to be going forward. Yeah, I think they're the running back room's a wash. I think it's literally all the same guys. And then quarterback's a wash. And then... The O-line's probably a plus, which is probably what Mike has. Uh, tight end room. Tight end room is probably – might be a push. That can go either way. I, I Just to be safe, I'd probably call that a push. and Because it's just a version of Greg Olson you got. Mm-hmm. If you like, you got prime Greg Olson, and clearly it's yeah, worse. But 35-year-old Greg, or however old he was, versus Gerald Everett at like 25 or whatever. It's probably a push. Um D-line's probably a push, um, I think. I mean, if you swap and carry for Carlos, which is really all they did, and then lose um, – you lose DeMontre and Shaquem, they can honestly just bring those two dudes back. D-line might be a push or maybe a, just a, a smidge. The problem is I think linebacker is a big step down and a corner is a big step down. Mm. Uh, I think that's – so I wouldn't – I don't know about top five roster. In the NFC, it might be a top five roster, which is not like – the worst thing in the world, but I still think teams like uh, Green Bay have much better rosters. Cause when people look at roster and this is not Mike Clay doing that, he looks legitimately at the whole route. He'll look at your punter situation. Like he's very yeah. thorough. So I'm not talking about him, 
But they look at your roster, and it, we tend to ignore the offensive line. Like I don't, I don't know how many people consider Green Bay having a stacked roster because they're O line. I do. That makes the, all the difference. You know, look at the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I consider a team like Pittsburgh to be stacked in that way because their O line is great. It doesn't matter if Big Ben's fifty. If you can pass protect for the 50-year-old, he'll get it to his guys. And I think their skill positions are, are, are good, too, and I always trust their defense for the most part. Um, but when you got a line, your team is is really, really – like Tampa Bay probably has a top five uh, roster. Kansas City, I'm not sure. Uh, Baltimore, I'm not sure. I think they had some lineman injuries, excuse me, last year. So um, I think the whole – there's still – there are holes – but I think you can make an argument. This is probably what Mike would do that they can manage at just about every spot with the exception of the receiver. Like they're, they're, that's a clear hole. Mm-hmm. Like it's, 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 it's a hole, but you could also then argue that if they're just going to be a 12 personnel team, your third guy is not that big of a deal. Yeah. But that's where Jared, I think you said on your pod last week, that Jared Everett's now the second highest paid receiver and he's not going to get the second most, Amount of time. No, it's not even close. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not even close. I've been cautioning people, and this is just me being really pessimistic, probably because of all the digging I did on the on the Russ story that we, that we had in February. Yeah. We did so much reporting on that that it was really hard not to come away incredibly pessimistic about the future of the team. Um, and one of the things that I really learned is that whoever is OC does not matter. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's completely irrelevant. You know, Shane is a different guy than Brian, and Brian's a different guy than Daryl Bevel, but it, it's irrelevant in that, like, and I said this on this show, too, on the Seahawks, man, the man is like, every time you work for someone else, your job, in some form or fashion, is largely to do what the boss says, whatever he says to do. Now, in some cases, you have some autonomy. Um, I'm sure like Wade Phillips had a lot of autonomy when he was Sean McVay's defensive coordinator. I'm sure he was like, yo, Wade, do your thing. He was like, yeah, cool. Um, and uh, it sounds like in both cases of uh, Bruce, uh, Brian Leftwich and Todd Bowles in Tampa, they have some autonomy as well because Bruce just loves those guys so much and trusts them to kind of do their thing. It's still Bruce's vision, but like Todd's so good at being creating havoc and, and things like that. I think um, another team like that is um, Baltimore. Clearly, their defensive coordinator is just like, yo, create havoc, and we'll figure mm-hmm. it out. So there's some autonomy there. I don't get the sense there's a lot of autonomy at all at the corner, at the coordinator positions here. So if I think that, like that's the premise I'm operating under, then the talent itself that you bring in has been irrelevant to me. And even if you are not irrelevant, that's a bad word, but it's not a, it's not a one-to-one just you bring someone over. Like I think we've seen that. You know, if, if that was the case, Percy Harvin would have shined. If that was the case, Jimmy Graham would have been all pro. If that was the case, Josh Gordon would have spent five, six weeks here and only had like seven catches. <laughs> you know, like it, it's not when – because of how Seattle is, when you come here, unless you're like a lineman or a defensive lineman, unless you come here – and when you come here as a skill guy, it just doesn't transfer. It just it just really doesn't. I guess it's mostly an offensive thing more than anything. But yeah, it just, it just It just doesn't. And I've learned that that's just because it's not – you're fitting pieces in around here. or You're, you're asked to kind of um, – what's the word I want to – conform more than you are just to, you know, to be yourself. 
and not to say that they don't do special things for like Jimmy or like they did for Percy or whatever, but I I just don't, they've lost the benefit of the doubt for me. So if Gerald Everett's the best tight end in yards after catch, I don't expect him to be here. You know, that's just because that's just not how it works over here. Tyler Lockett, I looked it up the other day, averaged as many yards after catch per reception as Nikhil Harry in 2020. And it's just like Tyler was an, was an all-pro return guy. There is no way that he's that bad with the ball in his hands. But I think that's the system. You know, same thing with Doug. Doug could make anybody miss. He could make a bullet miss. But it didn't, it didn't naturally come off in the in, – in the scheme. So I think whether it's Gerald or whoever else they bring in, whatever coordinator they bring in, when you don't have the autonomy to really kick it how you want to kick it around here, it's hard for me to just like project all this awesomeness. Even if awesomeness comes, I just can't project it. I have to see it. Is that also why, obviously third receiver here, is that also why David Moore leaving is kind of, he's seen that an opportunity to get more opportunities in an offense. Cause obviously Curtis Samuels left Carolina. He's going to get more opportunities than he would have 12 months ago in that offense, isn't he? Because they're probably going to throw the ball if they invest in a quarterback. Uh, that's a tough one. Because if I was if I was David, if I was Chris, or any of these seventh-round picks, I'm chasing the money. I don't care who's throwing to. I don't care if it's Taysom Hill, Tim Tebow. doesn't really matter. Seventh-round pick, that's just such a struggle. We don't talk about anxiety. You're not you're, – you're never guaranteed. You're never comfortable. Right, like L.J. Collier, Jordan Brooks, um, Rashad Penny. Like, I know they like they'll tell you they have an underdog mentality, and perhaps they do, but they're in the back of their mind. There is just they have to know the sense of security there as a first round pick. It's just not there when you're a seventh round pick. You're one injury away from you never playing in the NFL again. Right, that's just how it works. So, uh, for David, if I was him, I don't know this for sure, I would have just chased. Um, the money as soon as soon as I could. I mean, look at this year, this last year. David signed an RFA tender for $2.1 million, and they figured that was too expensive for him. <laughs> to pay him $2 million and say, no, dude, we need you on a minimum deal this year. Like, that's that's rough. So as soon as, as soon as somebody offers me some bread, I don't really care what the situation is. I need to get this money. Because you're already going to get an opportunity because they paid you. So you're already confident you'll ball out no matter what. It's like, let me get the money, you know, as well. Because that seventh-round pick stuff, it could be a struggle. Like, those guys are living in poverty, but it's not – they're not as living as lavish as a lot of people would think just because they're in the NFL. So, autonomy, opportunity, all this stuff. I'm looking around my living room here, and there's an enormous elephant in here because <laughs> the thing that kicked this whole offseason off was you guys in February writing the – piece that traveled the world in a minute about Russell Wilson. Um, and, you know, those are two words that you could probably look at him and say, well, that's one of the reasons why he's not happy. And from what I can tell from listening to your show and reading your stuff, there doesn't appear to have been that much of an effort to bridge the gap. And, you know, September seems six months away, but we all know how time flies. And all of a sudden it's going to be July and camp and press conferences. It feels to me like some stuff needs to start getting moving on that and repair that relationship or there still hasn't been a restructure of the contract. What, like, what, what are we doing here? Yeah, I think some egos need to be checked on both sides, too. Like, it's not just mm. – I, I, maybe we did – I thought we were pretty fair on, like, presenting both sides, but I, I could see how some of it come off as, like, this, the organization needs to do everything to make Russell Wilson happy, which they should if they're not going to trade him. Like, why, why anger him for the sake of angering him? 
especially if he tells you what's angering him, fix it. Uh, but I think there's some ego checking on both sides. It's not just like, I don't default to, well, Russ, if you want to be Tom, get paid like Tom. It's like, well, that, no, 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 no. Pay him as good as he is. Don't pay him like Tom. Pay him, if I'm the best, pay me like I'm the best or top three or whatever. Pay, pay me accordingly and then work the money around. If you got $8 million to give to Luke Jokel in any given season, then you can go get other linemen, right? It's not about Russ's salary. It's a really bad argument. Um, but, you know, I thought one thing was very interesting, and perhaps he just didn't have time to elaborate, but, like, Russ, Russ on the DP show, Dan Patrick talking about um, how he should have more say in personnel, which is a slippery slope. I don't know about that. But – like one thing he cited, it was like, yeah, you know, you play in these Pro Bowls and you like, you know who the good players are. And it was just in my head, I'm like, okay, so what else do you have besides playing in the Pro Bowl, right? Like all the Pro Bowl players are good. You know, that's, that's, you're not doing any advanced scouting there. You can't just come to John Snyder and be like, hey, look, I play with all these good guys in Orlando. And it's like, duh, you were at the Pro Bowl, you know, now go try to trade for Orlando Brown. I bet you the Ravens hang up on you. You know, like that's why we haven't <laughs> gotten guys you know, like that. So I would like to see if I was, if I was Russell, I would ask him like, what is your, what would you do differently? Because I understand the lack of faith. He doesn't have faith in them to build alignment around him. Spoiler. I have a piece coming out on Thursday about looking back at all the linemen transactions they've made in the free agency and the draft. And they're atrocious. They spent money on the wrong guys. They were penny pension and they drafted terribly. You know, at O-line since, since Russ was named the starter. So I cut off 2012 because they didn't know he was a starter. So since 2013, that would be terrible. So I see why he doesn't trust them. But it's also, if I'm the organization, it's like, who's to say you'd be any better at this? How much tape do you watch? How much pro personal scouting do you do? Who would you have drafted differently? Just every dude from Wisconsin, you know, which actually is not a terrible strategy. Wisconsin <laughs> turns out, well, if you only drafted Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin linemen and like Iowa linemen, and then linemen from like Bama and LSU, you'd probably be okay. Like your line would actually be probably pretty decent. But uh, so I think in that regard, like Russ has to give a little bit too. But they do as well, man. If your quarterback says, I want to be more involved in the offense. Yes, he touches the ball literally every play. Being at odds with him is a net negative. Whether you are ultimately right in your heart of hearts, being at odds with Russell on that is a net negative. It just is. It doesn't do anyone any good. Pete can feel in his bones that running the ball is better. If your quarterback is not on board with that, it, it's not going to be a successful strategy. It's just not because it's his job to get you into some of those runs. It's his job to control the tempo. Right? It's his job to like lead. And if he, how can he lead if he's not if he's at odds with you? So I think that that's that's where they have to give a little bit too. They probably like Pete. I know for sure is like we're gonna run this rock. We did this. We we got it. That's what we're gonna do. Balance. Yes. It's like that's fine. If your quarterback is in, is on board. If he's not, relationships matter. Um, so I think like it's not enough to explode in 2021. Um, I think that what people forget, and maybe we didn't do a great job of illustrating this, is like Seattle is kind of mastered functioning in chaos hmm. you know um i don't know if i told the story on here but i was um i was in a locker room one day and this was in 2019 i'm gonna say and i think it was at the time that the homie master on bleacher report had did that interview with percy harvin 
and he talked about the fight before the Super Bowl. So it was like a topic. I think Cliff had talked about it on KJR as well, because that's when he was working for the time. So I was in the locker room. I was talking to a guy who was on the Super Bowl team. And I was talking to him about the Percy fight and the, you know, the getting thrown in the trash bin and all that stuff. And he was like, dude, man, that team was just, that team was ridiculously crazy. He said, look around. He had me pivot around the locker room. He said, how many guys do you think in here already are like crazy? I think are ready to fight. That's what he said. I looked around. I was like, uh, okay, one, him. And they got like three or four. I'm not going to say who I said, but. I think one of them was Quentin Jefferson for sure. Cause I had seen him try to go kill a fan in Jacksonville. So I was like, yeah, he's ready. <laughs> um, Q Jeff's a good dude though. But I was like, that, that was an angry man. Uh, and then he was like, all right, cool. The player from the Super Bowl team was like, yeah, okay, cool. We had about 10 guys like that on the Super Bowl team and it was their best season in franchise history. Right. So like we made it happen. And then even with the Richard Sherman stuff, remember that article that came out by Wickersham and ESPN in 2017, that article came out like May of 2017. The open, the lead of it, the opening, is from I want to say a practice prior to the Super Bowl, maybe like 2014 or something, maybe after the Super Bowl, it's from like 2014. So really, his beef had been going on for like three years, and no one knew, and they won all of these games and went to the Super Bowl and were. And, you know, we're fine. And they've had other fights and stuff like that. My point is a long-winded way of saying just because it's really bad beef doesn't mean they can't coexist because that's that's also the, the culture that Pete has established and John. They can – guys can fight and hate each other. I've heard guys have not even talked to each other for months in that building. Guys in the same position group will not speak to each other for weeks and weeks during the season, and they'll go win by 20. Right? Like that's just kind of what they do there. So – I don't necessarily think the world is going to end in 2021 with because of this rust beef, but it does something that needs to be addressed. Just like the Sherm stuff needs to be addressed and they eventually cut them, you know, same thing with Earl, all this other stuff. So uh, I guess that's a long winded way of saying 2021, I expect every, all the main characters to still be here. But the point of our article is that everything's not okay. Whether that ends in 2021, 2022, or 2023, fix it guys. Because the, like, eventually this will start to blow up in people's faces. So who, who would be at the core of that change from 10 guys who are going to go sw- swinging for the fences, everyone who crosses them to two or three guys. So obviously Mike, Mike Roberts on Joe fans pod over the weekend. And he says that he, Joe asked him if he spoke to Russell Wilson still, and he said, no. So it, it, like would the quarterback, we saw him be changing that kind of deal or is it again, autonomy of the uh, head coach i think that's more of a, a locker room thing and i tell people that all the time especially when it pertains to sherman mike b i don't think they were locker room cancers that's a really bad label for them guys in that locker room love them not everyone of course um but they were largely loved in their locker room, especially man like guys on defense love mike b man mike b was fun he was a competitor and then he just cared about other people and he obviously bared that out in multiple ways before he was eventually traded but like you could tell Mike cared about other people, right? That just and that comes across. I mean, genuinely, for the most part, the guys in your position group they can tell if you are like uh, an asshole or not pretty quick, like because they're with you so much. Y'all in group chats, y'all watching film on Tuesdays together, like y'all going to each other's daughters' one-year-old birthday party, like they, they can tell. Like so, I wouldn't. I would say that most of those beefs were um, 
with front office. I mean, I look, look at what Doug told you guys about Marshawn. Yeah. They loved that man. He was damn near a deity, right? But he also marched to the beat of his own drum. But who is that most, like, annoying to? You know, the people who try to set the tune of the band. And that's the front office, right? Like, Marshawn had his own rules. Like, I don't want to get on this bus. You guys are going to Minnesota? I'm going to chill. I don't care if it's a playoff <laughs> game. You know? Like, that. I mean, that may have set some teammates off, too. But, like, you get the point. I think I really think that uh, – there's a dynamic there. I think, Adam, this was your question to Doug that I thought was the answer is yes. Doug didn't think about it this way, but like they've created a culture where be you, whoever you are will embrace you. Uh, unless you get to pushing back a little bit too much on us and you got to go. I, I liken it to, I'm a big movie guy, you guys know. So I, I liken it to the, the movie I Robot with Will Smith. There's an underlying theme in I Robot about like, the dangers of artificial intelligence, which is really what that movie is about. They created this, uh, yeah, artificial intelligence to put in these robots. And the robots eventually evolved to the point where we're like, wow, you humans are dumb as hell and you are destroying this planet. <laughs> so we will take over from here because we, we realize you guys are doing this wrong. We've evolved to the point of needing you. We are challenging the authority that created us. It's essentially what happened in the Seahawks. Uh, as well, except Will Smith wasn't there to save the day. Maybe Russell's Will Smith um, in this, but like that—that's the analogy that, that I use. It's like, yes, they were empowered in a way that was like, hold on, hold on. There ultimately is a line with this empowerment, guys. You can't just be reading books in my meetings and telling me when we're going to throw the ball in the one, you know, and flipping me off, you know, on, on injury carts and things, you know, and things like that. And now Russell's gotten to that point too, treated a certain way, as like you are special, you are different, you are a quarterback. You know, tell the truth Monday doesn't fully apply to you. Okay, well, now this guy, now you treat him like an extension of management. Now you get into year nine and he's like, I want to control the roster. Well, <laughs> you should have saw that coming. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you, you built this. He didn't, he didn't get drafted 75th overall when personnel control. You created the space for him to eventually evolve to wanting that. And along with your missteps. Um, so I think the front office is, I don't know, if, blame is not the full word but like their behaviors and mostly i mean pete created this culture that is what we're seeing what we saw with russell or what we saw with sherm and doug and mike b and even earl to now what we're seeing from russell it's actually kind of it's like a, i'm psychoanalyzing the whole team it's kind of fun uh but like you really got to dig into the behind the scenes of it to understand it when you do it like everything makes sense so we discussed exactly that two weeks ago with rob and jackson in the sense that Russell's kind of the angel on the shoulder versus the devil on the shoulder that those other guys were. Russell's like the good guy that mm-hmm. is following that same path of the empowerment. But with the other guys, there was no turning back. And eventually it ended up in losing those guys for way under market value at their best. So last week we get the news that Chicago have offered three first round picks and two players and a couple of thirds and I guess rightly, everyone scoffs at that and says, well, no, it's Russell Wilson. He's worth much more than that. But given the track record that no player has been able to get back on track with the front office, is there a risk that we are sit, hey, having this conversation in 12 months time thinking, shit, we got two first round picks and I don't know, Miller, yeah, they, you know, they- Miller from Chicago and when we're grateful to get it. The, there's well the 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 one of the there's a few issues with the trade proposal. I do get your point. I get to that. The problem with the trade proposal is a it's in the NFC, so like 
right there. I, I kind of feel more in more in general like that the scoffing at oh my god, three first round picks, are you crazy? Like this could come back and really bite us in the ass in a year's time. Yeah, no, that's yeah, there's the that's the the, the big the, the first thing is like NFC team problem, which that like every GM thinks about it. You look at some of these big trades, like they go uh, not only in another division, they go to another uh, go into the AFC versus the NFC or, or, or whatever. Um, the other, the other issue there, and is like what I have, what I tweeted about it was like, man, that's actually probably the best Chicago can really present logistically. And it would get everyone in Seattle fired in a year. Right. Like, cause you would have a bunch of, you would have a bunch of assets and no quarterback. You'd be the jets. Right. Like they have a ton of assets, a ton. Right. But they'd say, Adam Gates, get out. Right. Because we stink. So I think that would be a, a very similar issue. But, yeah, I do think there is something to the fact that, like, not only did they lose the Legion of Boom, a lot of those good – they didn't get anything for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they got, what, a fifth-round pick? A Marcus Johnson. A receiver. Yeah, a receiver who never made the team um, uh, for Michael Bennett, you know, who subsequently got traded twice after that. So other teams did value him. So you could have marked the pricing up. Um, got nothing for Richard Sherman ridiculous i will always contend that that was stupid getting nothing for him was absolutely ludicrous getting nothing for earl thomas maybe they got a third because it was comp uh i have to go look at that so nothing immediate from earl maybe they got a comp pick because he signed for so much i feel like they spent Um, it they they might maybe that's what they sent to the jets i'm not sure earl signed for so much and he played so many snaps uh, and made the pro bowl in 2019 that he seattle was probably eligible for a comp pick and that might have been what they used to trade up for Daryl Taylor. I'd have to go check all of that. But like at the time, like if you were before the 2018 season, you should have just traded him to Dallas for what Dallas was offering, you know, mm-hmm. like in, in hindsight. So yeah, we, that is a risk in that they had next year after they like losing the divisional round to someone right back here, Russ is still pissed. And this time, <laughs> He doesn't just go on the Dan Patrick show and the Ellen show. Now he's on like Oprah <laughs> and first take and he's just everywhere uh, just going off uh, about Pete Carroll and he's using names this time. Maybe it's just worse. And yeah, now next year, the bears will still need a quarterback. So yeah, maybe it's the bears again. Now they're like, well, now we're only offering two, you know, and now, now you can get like whoever trash quarterback. Now you can have like Andy Dalton, uh, you know, as well. And it's like now Seattle, yeah, they'll have to sell for pennies. Uh, on on the dollar the only reason that probably wouldn't happen is just because uh, he still has the no trade and he still is on under contract for a few more years but yeah there is a risk that the the we'll get like they'll have to put a red discount sticker on us before shipping him off uh, (laughs) as as opposed to shipping him off for like one of these deals doesn't seem great but I still wouldn't trade him for what it's worth because again no matter what the deal is if you don't get a quarterback in return everyone in Seattle gets fired 12 months later. I, like, stand by that pretty firmly. Yeah. Uh, I swear in free agency, back on that quickly, Gabe Jackson's been restrained for a fifth-round pick. He's making $9.5 million currently in 2021. That is that something they can jig around? Like, they kind of did with Car- Dun- Carlos Dunlap when he come in? Yeah, I've become somewhat of a, a salary cap expert in the last month. No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a salary cap. But I did do a story where... And this is on the athletic where I like mapped out three paths. Mm-hmm. To, that was great. Uh, thank you. I spent so many days <laughs> looking up contracts, comparing guys at certain ages with injury history, and like, and it's really hard for O linemen because the comps are hard. 
I can just go look at how many catches and whatever for someone trying to find a receiver comp for a contract and how to structure the contract with base. And then you got to look at what certain teams do. Seattle likes to structure their contracts a certain way where the, the future years vest the year before and blah, blah, blah. And like which teams do big signing bonuses. And then you have to factor in like the COVID year with the shrinking cap. Um, but I did learn that there, and in that, in that research, there's a million things you can do to, to flex the cap. Cap Smith legitimately is a myth. You can do whatever you want to fix the cap. You can give these guys all these dummy years. Um, now, I mean, most of the solutions involve pushing money down the road, which obviously can be a dangerous game. You can be like the Saints, right? But, I mean, did the Saints really mess that up? They basically pushed money down the road for like five years, had one of the best rosters in the conference for about five years, kept getting hosed by stuff like the Minnesota miracle and that P no PI call against the Vikings, no PI call against the Rams. And then Drew Brees' arm fell off. We're like, they're, they never really lost. I don't think because their roster wasn't talented, you know, talent wasn't the issue. Mm. They just caught some bad breaks in a single elimination tournament. You know, that's just kind of how things go. So, but I think they're a really good case study. You can just push money down the side. You can always find, is blue poles. You can, I mean, I think last year they were rumored to have like tried to trade for Clowney, but have someone else eat the money on it. Yeah. I forget. I think pro football talk reported that like you can do whatever you want. So Gabe Jackson, you can give him some like huge deal. You can give him a four year extension on top of the two years he has um, void those two of those years. So really it's just a two year extension on top of the two years he already has um, give him a signing bonus spread that out over like six years so his cap hit goes from like nine to like three you know or like 2.5 like chris carson's is now you have to deal with that down the road but like that's one way to drop a guy's cap hit down like and it's perfectly legal and it's not even that complicated to do to be honest you just got to be willing to eat the dead money later so yeah long-winded answer of saying yeah you can definitely you can do so much stuff you never there's never a reason I don't want to put this. A team doesn't lose a guy because they cannot afford him. That never happens. Never. Mm -hmm. No. You can afford anyone. The Chiefs had a million dollars in cap space and gave cap, uh, gave Patrick Mahomes half a billion dollars. <laughs> you know, like you can afford anyone you want. They had no cap space, found like $16 million for Sammy Watkins and paid Chris Jones last year. You know, the Bucks are doing it now. They found ways to pay everyone when they didn't have any money. So – Yes, to the Gabe Jackson, they can manipulate that. But just in the big picture, don't let any GM or coach or president or whatever owner tell you that they couldn't afford a guy. Bullshit. You could. You didn't want to mortgage the future for him, which is a different response than we couldn't afford him. You chose. Everything's a choice. Every time the Seahawks have not kept a guy, it is all. They could have paid. The, the Jags should have said, hey, this is $45 million for Shaq. All right, we'll give you 50 Could have. Structured it away. His cap hits like $3 million. You know, this year, they just chose not to. Everything is a choice. The Seahawks and a lot of other teams just choose not to pay guys. Uh, so, obviously, just to pull the curtain back a bit, this was supposed to be recorded 24 hours ago and 25 minutes before we were jumping on. The Seahawks decided to get busy. Um, so, maybe if, if KJ and Carlos are going to come back to Seattle this next half an hour or so, is going to be when they do it. <laughs> Um, yeah, they got we got we got bad luck, man. <laughs> uh, but also, a lot of the deals that they've done, obviously, Carson's back as well on a on one of those uh, void voidable contracts. But and then even Kerry Hardy yesterday, it's the, the, every deal you can kind of look. Well, that doesn't bode well for X in the first round. X, 
why in the second round, is it? Like Penny, Collier and Daryl Taylor have a tougher path to snaps than they did a week ago. I think LJ and uh, who uh, Daryl, LJ and Daryl are probably still the road. I don't get, think got a ton tougher because there were still other guys there. Like last year, they, they've lost actually a lot of all the defensive ends are gone, except for like LJ and Rasheem. Like at one point before bringing back uh, Benson, they had lost Shaquem, Demontre, Benson, Carlos, and Jonathan Bullard. Like everyone who rushed from the edge for them is, is was was gone. So I think I think Daryl, without like guys like Bullard there and Shaquem, and what else did I just say uh, Demontre. So I think I think Daryl's okay, LJ's okay, but I do think there is really no way to look at this if you're viewing it from Rashad Penny's standpoint. This is an indictment of what they think about him as a player. Like it really is. This is resigning Chris. That's just a fact. Uh, Daryl, I'm not sure. I think they just needed to, you know, they just needed to just make a move. You know, they needed more bodies. I can understand that. Kid ain't play last year. Makes sense. Even if you're, you know, you're really high on LJ, it doesn't hurt to have. You can never have too many pass rushers. That's one of those you can just load up on. I mean, you can make the argument for running backs, but like, man, this was supposed to be the year that like Rashad's your guy. Why isn't Rashad your guy? And not only is he not going to be your guy, even if you would uh, exercise his fifth-year option as a first-round pick, he'd still spend the duration of his rookie contract as a backup. Like, that, that, is, that is bad. That is really bad. Like, independent of what I think or what you guys think about him, there's really no other way to slice it as extending Carson is an indictment on, Chris, on Rashad Penny. And maybe that's the right move to do since I think Chris is a better running back. I don't even think that's that's really relevant as much as like admitting that like, hey, this team is telling us it whiffed on its first round pick. Would that be the first time they whiffed? No, but this would probably be the first time that they admitted it. It'd be like if they traded for a, a tackle while they had Jermaine Fetty with two years left. They'd be like, oh, this guy stinks. They never even did that. And that was a Fetty. This year, they're like, yo, <laughs> we like Rashad and everything, but if he's our number one guy, we can't do what we want to do. And that's that that makes you wonder, like, if you're the, if I was asking team, like, okay, then that means this this was never going to work in the first place. If he's not built to do what you guys want to do offensively, like, did him having his knee repair change that? Doubt it. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was just honestly the Chris Carson deal. One of the the um, one of the effects of it is like, yep. The Seahawks blew another first round pick for like the umpteenth time in the Schneider and Carroll era. But it's, but it's also paying Carson is the same now as the same for drafting Penny in the first round is because Pete is clearly still stung by how that position completely capitulated in 2017, 2016. Mm-hmm. Like this mm-hmm. all comes back around to that. And it's, again, the fact that he wants to be good at that, but Carson's been paid, isn't it? Yeah, Pete's got a uh, – I was looking at this with some of their transactions. They really overreact to injuries and yeah, I think it's injuries. So you look at like Sheldon Richardson it's because of the Malik McDowell injury. Dwayne Brown it's because of the George Fant injury. Um, there's a there's a, there's a couple others in there, but like you look, at, I mean, even probably Carlos is probably Bruce. related to the injuries to Bruce and Daryl um, not being able to to play, especially because I think Daryl was going to be a Leo, which is where I think. 
Carlos is best suited. So, excuse me. And then, yeah, in 2017, they were just the worst. You know, Chris got hurt. Um, I think Thomas Rawls, man, they got hurt. Eddie Lacy got hurt. Everyone was hurt. And then you draft the running back in the first round. It's a lot of overreactions, mm. um, I think. But it's some of them I understood, especially the Dwayne Brown one. But this seems like that as well. Just another overreaction, especially at poor positions. Like, where was this overreaction? I would have rather seen if I'm Seattle. All right, Richard Sherman tore his Achilles in 2017. Let's <laughs> draft a corner in the first round. Mm-hmm. You know, like, overreact. That might not have still been a great thing. I don't know how many great corners there were in that 2018 draft. But still, it's the idea. Oh, Earl broke his leg. Let's draft a safety in the first round, you know, like, and I think they did, they dropped the Marquise Blair pretty high um, after Earl's injury. So there's something to that. But I mean, the, yeah, the point is, yeah, you're, no, you're on to it. There's, it's another overreaction by the team. And they've done a lot of that, whether it's overreacting to their bad draft picks or trying to overcorrect to bad draft picks. The Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams trades, as well as, as great as they are, as those two players, their reaction is to bad drafting. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. Mm. Didn't find a replacement for Cam. So now you have to spend two first round picks and a third to get a guy and pay him like 18, 20 million. You couldn't find a replacement for Earl. So now you have to trade a fifth, you know, to get to get Quanda. They're doing all these moves as a reaction for, for bad drafting. And it's um I forget, I think the 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 uh, I can't remember the dude's name over at Phil Goals. I think his first name Brian, but he made the point that like the twenty seventeen draft was really bad for this team. It set them up. It was so bad that it set them up to do all of these other overreactions and trades and, and moves. Um, and now, like, we're starting to see the effects of, of all of that. We saw it right away with Malik, but now we're really seeing it long term, like how bad that draft was for the future of the franchise. Yeah, but it's, it seems like we're seeing it with linebacker as well. I mean, they spent, you know, they trade up for Cody Barton and then last, you know, they have already 30 odd million invested in Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. And with the first round pick, they go and get another linebacker. And I just wonder, like, Ponzi scheme would be an incredibly harsh way to look at everything. But I keep looking at this team and thinking they are spending a lot of new money to satisfy old issues. And eventually the whole house of cards comes tumbling down because you just cannot, you can't make everything work. And I just wonder if in this year, or next year is something going to come home to roost because there's just, you know, next year they have 22 players on the roster that are signed up. Um, you know, you can barely have a soccer game with that number of people, let alone <laughs> field an American football team. And I just wonder like at some point, obviously there's the cap going up apparently in TV money or whatever, but everyone's going to have that money to spend. So it's just going to extrapolate up and down for what players can get. And I just wonder if that, you know, they've spent so much new money going off, you know, trying to replicate, you know, look after bad old money. Are they going to end up screwing themselves if they need to pay their superstars as well and be in a position where they just can't field enough of a, a team to make it all work? Well, I don't think they'll have a problem paying guys that need to be paid. I mean, even look at their roster now. It's what, DK, um, Jamal, which there'll be room for. Like, how many guys do they have on rookie deals who are ballers? Um, yes, yeah, DK, Jamal. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Gotta I mean, have somebody else. I mean, it's early, but Lewis could. But we're like, oh yeah, yeah. No, a, a good lineman you got to keep. You got to keep. That's just. I mean, looking back at some of the deals they made, I was too young in the NFL writing business. I mean, I was literally still covering high school at the time. 
I probably would have been far more critical of the Max Unger and Jimmy Graham deal if I was like a veteran NFL reporter. Mm-hmm. Just because if you got a line, all pro lineman, do not trade him. Do not. That is just no. <laughs> don't. I just don't care who you, who you are. I don't care who you're trading for. Pass rusher, unless you're getting a quarterback. That would be my only obviously do that. But uh, yeah, the the trouble they're going to run into is there is only so much you can do to mask bad drafting. Mm-hmm. There really is. That is what they're going to run into. Like someone, uh, I was talking about the 2018 draft on Twitter because I think someone had mentioned it. Um, and it's it's a it's a bit of a mixed bag, though it looks pretty pedestrian, uh, no pun intended at the moment. <laughs> uh, but like someone asked me about the 2019 draft and I went and looked at it and I was like, hmm. <laughs> I'll reserve some judgment on like Marquise because I legitimately have not seen him play enough um, to know if he's good or bad one way or the other. But aside from that, I'm pretty confident in saying that was a bad draft. Yeah, like that's just, I mean, DK is great. And then everything after that was iffy at best. So like, that's the, that's the issue. That's what comes to bite you eventually. You know, and that's what also helped the Saints out in reverse. Not reverse, but like the, the inverse of it, I guess, is they nailed their 2017 draft. The Rams did too. Mm-hmm. Well, these dudes from the Rams who were nice from that 2017 draft, like even I think Gerald Everett is from there. Uh, is Josh Reynolds from there too. Cooper Cup, yeah. I think. Uh, one of their safeties, uh, maybe John Johnson. I don't, I, they, they, just, they just hit. That 2017 draft was very good for them. And for the Saints, it was ridiculously Good. They got that that tackle. They got Marshawn Lattimore. They got uh, Alvin Kamara, um, which did so well, and it set them up for the future. So they could push all that money down the road because they also had contributors on rookie deals. If you need contributors on these rookie deals, the way the league is set up, you can't just keep missing on fourth round picks and then overcorrecting with veterans who you didn't have to pay. Like, yeah, it's great that you were able to give up a seven, a fifth round pick for Quandre Diggs, but like if you would have just hit on a fifth round pick, you'd have a guy make it 800 K versus the five mil you're paying Quandre five mil is not a ton, but it's a lot more than 800 K. So more than anything, their their whiffs in the draft are going to come back. To, we're going to start to see with that 2019 class too. that watch the positions that they have to try to fill from that. I mean, look, we're already seeing it like Kerry Hyder, you know, go get a five technique. He drafted a five technique, 29th mm. overall pick. And, um, and LJ, who I, who I still think could be pretty good. Um, but yeah, that, that more than anything is how you end up in a bad place in this league is not drafting well for an extended period of time. Yeah. Uh, one, one of our Patreon guys wants, to, wants, me, to, wants me to ask you uh, if you're looking forward to playing in Jacksonville next year. Do they play in Jacksonville? That's where no, that game's at? No, you're looking at like, Oh, me. Do oh, our me. Shane Griffin joke. Oh, yeah. You know, no, the answer is no. I'm looking forward to $45 million that shot. Uh, that, that, that's the end of an era, man, of getting mistaken I mean, uh, for, for Shaq. I mean, next time you come to London, it's going to be interesting to see who the comparison will be. Yeah, I mean they'll they'll find one. Shaq ain't the first guy. Uh, I got called Waka Flocka a lot in high school, and like Asante Samuel before. Sherm was the first one, um, and then Shaq. I mean, there's always there's always guys out there, man. The next the next Lewis black dude has, with dreads. I think Lewis has dreads, doesn't he? Who Damien? Yeah, 
Oh yeah, but I no mean, one thinks I'm that big. So. No, that would be harsh. <laughs> yeah, that one. That yeah, that's a little little different. But yeah, no, that's a that's an end of a run, man. I was I wanted to do a story like that where I go out with the Griffin twins, uh, and we just see how many people just legit buy us as brothers, <laughs> like all all three of us. Someone actually, I forget who it was. Now this is gonna bug me. I was uh dang. Most people don't know so. If you're at our tra- at training camp where we stand, the tent to do the outside interviews, there's a pathway to the inside the VMAC from the practice facility. And the tent is r- directly like adjacent. So if you are standing on like the outskirts of the tent to ask a question, um, players can walk right by you, tap you on the shoulder if they need to. Bobby does it all the time to mess with people. Someone came right up behind me and was like, oh, and then he, he like yelled. To, I think one of the twins, he was like, Hey, yo, bro, I thought this was one of your man. I thought this was you. My bad. And it's just like, <laughs> you could tell he wasn't just like making a joke. I think he was like a practice squad dude or something like that. It was somebody who ended up not making the roster. Uh, and it was just wild because I was like, Man, are you guys just blind or what? Because, <laughs> like I said, this is after practice. All the players are wearing uniforms. I'm in a hoodie or whatever, you know, like if nothing else. <laughs> You should see that I'm not wearing a jersey. Like that's a, you know, can tell it's not me. But it was always fun. Uh, I get my I get my hair twisted up by the same lady that the Griffins do. So like I see it. Like they all they do the same bun that I'm doing now. They dyed their hair after me. You put that out there. <laughs> I, I dyed mine first, then they dyed theirs. So like now nah, I I got it. But I'm gonna just miss those guys in general, man. They were they were just so much fun. That's why it's, it pissed me off. So many people are like good riddance to Shaq, man. Shaq was really candid. And really vulnerable and really fun, you know, his whole four years in Seattle. I'm going to miss that. Also, something you're, you might, I think we spoke to a couple of years ago, just after you raced Ben Arthur in a 40 yard dash, and now he's gone off to Tennessee. So, does that make, does that you put you further ahead in the clubhouse lead for the 40 times in that media room as well? Oh, man. Yeah. Poor Ben. Uh, shout out to him, though, getting that job covering the Titans, man. I'm super proud of him, man, um, for getting that. He's going he's gonna to kill it. Uh, but yeah, no, nah, man, I ran a, uh, one day, uh, we were uh, playing flag football. Um, I, I, I play flag football on Saturdays with a bunch of guys and every once in a while, some D one cats will come in. So we were just playing with this guy from like Florida state uh, on Saturday, um, who just happens to be like from Seattle. But one day we were playing and afterwards I had Chris time me in a 40. So this is after running around for an hour. <laughs> uh, I, uh, Chris had me at like four nine and it's just like, yeah, that's slow for like my weight. I'm like five eight bucks sixty five, so that's not great, you know. But man, that's it's not slow, you know. Like that, that takes some pride in having some 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 wheels. Yeah, I'm definitely if they bring back the media combine, which they had probably before I got here. If they bring it back, oh, I'm all for it. I'm gonna kill it. I'm gonna kill the vert. Uh, I'm gonna kill. <laughs> we do a standing, a, a, a broad jump, whatever cone three three cone yeah i'm gonna kill kill everything i'll probably hit like four eight in that 40 it's gonna be unbelievable and you speaking, st- speaking of uh killing it you know i started out by saying how nervous i was to have such a guest of prestige and obviously the pedestrian podcast probably launched your media career as we one of the first guys <laughs> to get you on. i think that's that's undoubtedly true but what's it been like in 2021 you know i'm flicking through the around the nfl podcast and michael sean dugar's on there i've listened to that show for eight years and there's Lindsay Rhodes and Fox and KJR and I mean it's been an incredible six months to a year like take a victory lap how's it been uh it's 
it, it's been a lot, man. Shout out to my uh, my girlfriend. She had to eventually, the day after the rush story, not the day of, or excuse me, the day of the rush story that it dropped, I basically, she had to like be my secretary. Like when people were, cause my, I was getting flooded with DMs and texts um, because when, you, when you're kind of in this business, I think there's like, a, um, they can go online to the Seahawks site and they have all the media info. So everyone just texts you from random numbers. You're like, hey, I'm this producer from Random Initials in Chicago. We <laughs> want you on the show, right? So, and I had to just hit her, tell her, like, hey, what do I have at two? All right, put two down. Oh, Chicago. Oh, I'm doing Virginia at three. Uh, ESPN Radio at five. Like it was, it was a lot, but it was very, it was very fun when I step back uh, and and look at it because it was ultimately about the work. Like, it wasn't about anything I did stupid or said or, you know, like, if I got into a Twitter spat with somebody and, like, oh, we want to have you on because you're easier, more easily accessible than the player you were arguing with. It was legitimately about you guys did a good piece of journalism and we want to talk about the journalism you guys did. That's the cool, like, thing because you want that to pay off. And it helps that. Shout out to Jason Jenks. Jenks is the ultimate introvert and didn't do, he did literally zero interviews <laughs> after the story. Uh, so it made it look like I did a lot of work on my own, especially because my name is first on the byline. It is not. I definitely got to give a shout out or it is first, but like, it doesn't mean I did more work. Me, Jason and Mike Sando, it was legit team efforts, man. We talked so many hours. We went through every line of the story, nitpicking the, does this word imply this? Should we find another source on this? Should we pull this line? Like it was a for real team effort. And it was a lot. Man. We talked like three, we, we had at least three phone calls that were minimum two hours in length hmm. um, to for a story like that for a triple byline. So to see everyone kind of rock with it. Um, and for once, and this is where I really was willing to take the victory lap is to see first take or first things first or Schefter or Rappaport, they have to hop on the phone after I report something. <laughs> I spent my whole NFL career hopping on the phone when they tweet something or when they report something. Uh, you know, I'm chasing down everything they do. I think it was in Tom Palacero today said, oh, Sherm wants to come back. It's like, I'm not chasing that. Like, no, because I've already kind of written that. But like, that's, that's a pleasure that no one will really understand unless you're in the business is like having to just jump when Schefter says jump because he has this tweet or when Rappaport says jump because he has this report. Now they had to jump. Now, granted, they didn't have to jump that far because they're them, but they had to, you know, they had to get up there and talk about what we reported. And that was, that was really fun. I makes it sound like I hate those guys. I don't, but they are, they are the equivalent. I am the equivalent of the little guy and they are the equivalent of the evil empire in our business, whether that's, fair or not it's just what it is so it is nice to have the little guy quote unquote get a victory in an nfl business it's very hard to get this stuff man it's not like college or nba nba is actually even hard too adrian wardjanowski sham sharnia and and uh like chris haynes ramona shelburne brian winhorse they get everything it's very hard mark stein in new york times it's hard to get into that uh, business of like creating the news Versus reacting to the news. So, yeah, the one time we made it happen, very, very happy about that. Hope to do it like 10 more times, <laughs> you know, and just step into that lane. And the next time it happens, just a bigger tag box on like Instagram and stuff. 
Just so it's got yeah, 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 man. They need to uh, <laughs> my name a little, a little bigger, man. It just you know, little, bigger, bigger font. That's the that's the one place that kind of is the evil empire. It's good. the way Bleacher Report does stuff is just uh, I I've never really I respect the, the company, especially the homie Master who's over there does good work. Um, does the Untold Story series like it's a great series, uh, but like. It's not just them. I don't like the thing on Twitter where, let's say Shams tweets that LeBron tore his ankle or twisted his ankle. They will just pull a, a picture of LeBron, tweet that he twisted his ankle, and then tag Shams. <laughs> just retweet him. You didn't provide any additional information. All you did was re- you you copied and pasted his tweet, attributed him, and added a photo that you got from Google. That is not reporting. That's just aggregation for the hell of it. There's an entire button built into this device <laughs> for you to do the, the thing that you were trying to do. And I hate when people do that. And I think our company is getting a little bit into that as well. But I understand it. Engagement sells. But I would think that's just retweet me. That's mm-hmm. fine. If I break something, just read or quote tweet me or whatever to steal the information that I said without linking back to. No one does the link back. Mm-hmm. Like, no, add the link to my thing. You know, it, no one cares about this unless you're a journalist. But like, that's you cares. No, okay. You cares a lot. You've, uh, you've you've preempted my bin this for this for this episode. No, you're a journalist now, Stu. Are you doing all these pre-draft? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, articles, the, the, man. What we're we'll getting to in a minute? They're all pointless because we're not going to select anyone. <laughs> no, no, man. I I told you I, I'm I don't want to. I have to do a mock draft and. You've dug into. I think you wrote about a dude from Oregon State, and I was like, oh, okay. I might be able to just take him with my 250th. He's, he's, I would have n- no idea who that dude is if you didn't write about. It. I have done no pre-draft research. <laughs> spoiler for anyone reading so the athletic. That, that 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 before we move on, that Oregon State one. His brother was on Last Chance You last year. If you watch that series, the Oakland one. I've never seen Last Chance You. The ba- the basketball one is on now. It's unbelievable. Oh wait, wait. No, I, I think I saw one season. Um, the uh, there was a receiver. I think and he ended up going to Auburn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, he's yeah. in the. I think he's in the league now. He's in the Eagles. He, he uh, Chicago. He was. Yeah, F- Franklin. John. John Franklin. John Franklin. Franklin Let's go with that. Yeah. Yep. Him. I so I watched his season of, and I just it did it did it didn't do it for me. The show did not. I thought it was okay, but it just it didn't it didn't do it. I watched LeBron's uh, high school his his kids documentary on Netflix. That was okay, but I fell asleep on that too. <laughs> Moral of the story. Don't recommend a Netflix doc to me. I will watch it, but I will probably not as enjoy not enjoy it as much as you enjoyed it. So on the on the draft, they've only got three picks: second round, fourth round, and mm-hmm. seventh. Um, there seems there doesn't seem to be many ways of getting more. Well, obviously the trade back, but you're not really you, you're kind of going to miss out on guys doing that. Are they really just going to pick three players and just? Hope all three land. Yeah, I asked someone in the know about that last week, Sunday maybe. Um, I said, hey, do you really think Josh is going to take three guys? Um, and he was like, yeah, you know, he doesn't really have many choices. Um, there's, like the trade back route, you got to remember, the later you're trading the pick, the less valuable it is. There has to be someone worth trading up for. It's a lot easier in the first round. Mm. Doesn't mean that you can't trade up in the second round. Seahawks just did it. They traded up for the 48th pick, I think, to take Daryl. They traded up for DK as well, 64. I think they traded up for Michael Dixon. 
So, I mean, you can trade mm-hmm. up um, for, for picks, but it's just harder because that means that the other team has to be willing to give up two picks for one. And if you're in like, if you're trying to trade back at pick 56, okay, well, who's there that these guys really need? You really need quarterbacks and guys at premium positions, but I think they will only go into three, but I'm, I'm with Adam. I like the idea of like, you trade your second round pick for JC Jackson. So now you have a 25 year old corner who's nasty. I think since he entered the league, he's second in interceptions behind Xavier Howard. Uh, he just gets his hands on a lot of passes, plays great man coverage at a time when it's very hard to play man uh, because of all the crossing patterns and tight formations and bunch stuff they do. Um, you use your fourth round pick and you go get like a, uh, you just go get some random disgruntled defender because that's Seattle's like MO <laughs> is finding guys who hate where they're at and they just find, uh, you know, heaven's gates outside of, you know, VMAC. So you, you use that on like a defensive lineman or something like that or whatever, another receiver maybe. And then yeah, you shop your seventh round pick, which is what I'll probably do in my mock draft is, uh, yeah, you go get, you go get another skill guy or another quarterback. You know what? I'm a coog. I'll be biased. Go call Jacksonville and say, give us Gardner Minshew. We'll give you our seventh. Mm-hmm. We'll do that. You, Cause you're, they're going to sign a veteran behind Trevor. I think um, like it makes more sense to do that. Like it makes more sense, honestly, for them to bring in like Blake Bortles behind Trevor. Um, assuming they take Trevor Lawrence and do something like that. than it does to like have 26 year old Gardner Minshew sitting behind 20, three-year-old Trevor Lawrence or, or, or whatever. So yeah, you give up, you call New England, say, Hey, we want, we want JC. We'll give them a multi-year deal. You call uh, whoever else and say, we'll give you a fourth. Give us your best pass or your, your pass rusher. Who's pissed about his deal or your uh, yeah receiver or whatever. And you call the Jags and say, give us Gardner. We'll give you a seventh. So now we have a backup quarterback that isn't Alex Magoo. And you roll that out. I, I'm with I'm with Adam. Punt on the draft. Look, Punt. for my for my Seattle Enrons, we're giving our second round pick for Odell Beckham and we're going <laughs> all over it. We're gonna say, Russell Wilson, here's Odell Beckham Jr., your pro bowl guy that you saw, and we're gonna go crazy for a year. And then we everyone can leave and just leave a absolute wreckage behind us, but we'll have a nice silver trophy there that we can celebrate when it all goes to shit. So that'd be great for me. I'm not a journalist, so I get to talk shit like Odell Beckham, whereas you have to be vaguely serious. And even Stu writes articles, so he has to be, you know, vaguely, uh, vaguely acceptable. It's like four I can make read. anything work, though. Like, that's what that's what our, our business is. I, I can make the Odell thing work. The downside, is, I mean, if you think about it, this team had Doug and Golden and Jermaine, which, yeah, pedestrian, sure, Dion kind of whiffed on that. But they they were getting it done. It's not like Percy added a ton to the passing game. You know, they just they felt they needed that splash though. So you can easily see a team with DK and, and Tyler. I'm like, ah, we need some more. You know, like I think you can see Russ saying they need some more. The problem with that is, and I told Adam this too, you can't just keep you can't keep getting Ferraris and driving the speed limit. You know, <laughs> you 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 can't. You have you eventually you got to put the pedal to the metal and getting Odell is it will be the equivalent of getting a Ferrari. And if you're, if you're just going to run Chris 19 times a game, that is pointless. Yeah. That is a waste of, that's just not a waste of Odell's time. That's a waste Everyone's of resources. Time. Yeah. Like you're much better off trading that, that second round pick for alignment, you know, a really good one 
just stick him right there in the middle and plow through people for Chris. Like that's just a better use of the resource, whether I agree with it or not, it's better use of resources. Like that's, but I want you, Odell will be fun. I've only, I've only seen Odell live once and he caught a crazy pass over Trey Flowers. And I was like, yeah, or Tedrick Thompson. And I was like, yeah, no, this is fun. <laughs> He's real deal. There's also, there's, there's chat in Boston today that that's what New England have done this free agency splurge for is because there's no intelligence really on this draft class because of shortened seasons and opt-outs and everything else. They're just, they're just prime themselves to jump up and use all their stock in 20, 2021 to go and get the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I don't buy it. I remember people floating this when Jamal was traded. I don't buy that the, like, the 2021 class is totally devalued. There's still tape. Most teams played. I think only with the Ivy League and the FCS didn't, well, F- yeah, didn't the F- play. FCS is playing now. Yeah, they're playing now, right? So they're completely behind the eight balls. But for the most part, all the power five, all the power conferences played. Um, the guys who opted out opted out because they have enough tape to prove. I think Jamar Chase is like a guy who opted out. It might go like sixth, right? Like opted out. Um, so I think one of those corners who's high opted out as well. So I'm not entirely worried about that. And I think when you're talking about first round picks, all of those guys get scouted crazy. Now, these guys in the sixth and seventh round, yeah, are you watching some grainy tape of them? Uh, you know, that's not that great. Yeah, probably. You go watch David Moore's college film. Yeah, it looks like you're watching a VHS, you know, <laughs> compared to watching, you know, some of these other guys' uh, tape. But the scouting is still going on. Honestly, what I think is, is going to happen, and maybe this is wishful thinking on my part, teams are going to realize we were spending entirely too much money on pre-draft. We could get so much shit done on Zoom that we uh, we were flying across the country to do before that it's going to actually expedite the pre-draft process and make it better, not make it worse. Sure, is it nice to go see a guy running his underwear in the middle of nowhere in his college town? Perhaps. But, like, if we can just watch that on tape, or not if we can watch it on tape, if now these college teams are using tracking data with the GPS things that they use in the NFL – who cares what he runs in his underwear after he's had eight weeks to train? I know how fast his top speed is when he plays for Georgia Tech. So there's not even really a point for me to do that, right? Who cares what he can bench? I know how strong he is, you know, with this advanced analytics we have. So I could see the whole draft process actually being more efficient, you know, by all this. It, we're learning that with the, the players. The players are all like, wait a minute. We could have just met on Zoom all offseason instead of coming to the facility for OTAs. Let's do that again, you know, like – efficiency is the name of the game in the NFL. And that's not just like how to move the ball. That's legit in the pre-draft process too. Why are you flying scouts all over to like who gives a fuck, you know, Alabama and parts of Florida to draft, to scout a D2 guy. You go watch that guy on Zoom, watch his college tape and then do a Zoom call with him. Boom. Now you know if he's a dickhead or not. So I think that uh, I, I, I would imagine that the smart teams, it'll take some – uh, guys a while but the smart teams are going to realize we were doing this in a very inefficient manner before evaluating all these prospects we can get a lot more done sitting in rooms doing zooms and having charts and tape than we are flying guys all over the country to watch guys running their underwear and stuff like that so, so that lack of draft picks is that why apart from north dakota state we haven't seen john schneider's name crop up at any of these pro days in Georgia or Clemson or Florida State or USC today, he just the only the only one I've seen him tap that is 
the uh, North Dakota State one with the Brian Pace conversation. Yeah, I saw, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that he was at Trey Lance's joint. Yeah, perhaps. Um, because the, and John John makes a really good point, um, like explaining why he was at Josh Allen's pro day. It was like, yeah, I was in Green Bay when Aaron Rodgers fell to us at. 24 whatever and we were like whoa what do we do we haven't done our homework and then just took him uh but you don't really have to worry about that with this crop when you're picking at 56 right you're not trading anyone jumping back you know into the draft but even then it was like why are you even in wherever north dakota fargo i think oh, maybe is. is the name of this yeah name of town what are you doing there now like you that time on that even if it was a private jet which he probably took like even that time to fuel the jet up and wait for it to fly there like you really could have just watched the nfl network feed of the pro day you know and, and been you know more more efficient um there unless there was like other players there that you were scouting uh, but yeah i think there's something to be said for this team just being more efficient with their evaluations you still have to look at you know, have the same size board because you never know who falls to you at 56. And once you get into after the second round, you're really in the wild, wild west. But, I mean, they're, the draft is just done. It just, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of wasted time. I think – I forget what team it was last year. I think there were two. Maybe the Rams and the Broncos that didn't send anyone to the combine. They sent, like, maybe their head coach. That was it. And didn't send any of their scouts and stuff. And it was like, well, yeah. It's all on TV and stuff. And, like <laughs> – we already didn't scouted these guys at their pro days. There's all this tape. Why do we need to watch them run in their underwear, you know, and poke and prod them for a medical report that we're just going to get facts to us anyway from our doctors? Like, yeah, there's a much more efficient way to do the draft and be just as right or just as wrong. It's not like spending 11 months on the process makes anyone an expert. You know, yeah. Seahawks spent all that time. It still took them late and down. <laughs> uh, so how we talk, we, we, as I'm started by calling you Mr. 2021, how does the rest of 2021 for you covering this team look like? Because obviously there's still no camp dates of any sort. That seems to have cropped up in the news this week. I mean, it, Tyler, I think, said after the Rams game, he doesn't really expect to be back in the VMAT till June, July. Is that kind of still the case, do you think? And you get to go back into that building and cover this team at whatever form of camp there is? Yeah, I think with the vaccinations being more widely available, um, that'll help. I haven't got vaccinated yet. Uh, I plan to, though, for sure. Everyone get vaccinated. Do not be an anti-vaxxer. Please go. You're not going to turn into a zombie. Your face won't fall off. Your arm won't fall off. You're not going to die. All of these things. Yeah, what's scary? The, well, the, the first pod we did after I got jabbed, my internet fell out, so it clearly doesn't improve your Wi-Fi connection. So. Yeah, I had mine last week. <laughs> my 5G is shit, so... You know, <laughs> I, I really, whatever it takes, I want to be back in the in the building with those guys. I just think it's an invaluable tool to report. I mean, I was able to work around it a little bit this year, but like you just learn so much about those guys. You pick up on things. And it's, I mean, there's just something to be said for talking to someone face to face. That's part of the defense that a lot of the front office guys would use for the pre-draft process, especially when it comes to high picks. I want to look this man in his eyes. I can actually, I can, I can empathize with that. And because for my job, too, it just like I'll I put it this way for Seahawks fans. They probably realized Nico Thorpe is a big ball of fun. We would never know that through Zoom. Mm -hmm. We would never see those spirited ping pong matches that he has literally every day <laughs> that he had with Justin Coleman in 2018 and 2017. 
that were just a, just a big ball of fun. We would have never saw how much fun Michael Bennett was. Never got the vibe for the basketball in the meeting rooms and all this stuff. Like, there's just so much you pick up on, you know, being there and getting people to, like, see who you are and know your face. You know, like, we joked with Joe Finn today that, like, Jamal Adams calls him Mr. Joe or called him at least that once during Zoom. It's like, that's a really rare thing to get via Zoom, you know, to be called. That's something you ain't nobody got a nickname. I don't think anyone has a nickname in the media room, you know, given to them by a player. Joe got one, you know, virtually. <laughs> that's hard to do. That, that person-person interaction is valuable, you know, in, in our job, building those relationships and building those sources and really getting to know guys. So, yeah, whether I got to get two shots, one shot, or ten shots, I'm willing to to, to get it to, to be back in the building. That's going to just change my coverage so much if I can make that happen. And also it makes your pickup game against Bobby Wagner and Tyler Lockett and everyone else more likely as well, doesn't it? Oh, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that might still be able to happen. Regardless, I think the LA Fitnesses are all open up here. Um, <laughs> if, if Bobby and those guys want to give it a run, man. They don't understand. <laughs> I have seen – so I've seen Bobby play basketball. I've seen Russell play basketball as well. Uh, and I see them all in the in the VMAC too after practice. They have one in the facility that you can watch them play, which I do. So I've seen all of them play, and with the exception of uh, Quandre. I've never seen Quandre play, but I've seen them play. I've seen most of the media play. I've played with Ben, who's leaving now, but I've played with Ben. I obviously played with Chris Kidd. I played with Joe Fan, played with his, his pickup team last year. Uh, I haven't played with Brady, but I've played with I think I played with Tim Booth. Yeah, I did. Played with Tim Booth multiple times. Uh, I played with Kevin Shockey at KJR. Um, Adam Jude at the times I've played with. So I've got a good feel for how everyone involved plays. And to my knowledge, Bobby's the best player on the team. So if I've seen your best and I've seen what else we have, I am well equipped to gauge how the game would go. Everyone dismisses what I'm saying as if they have any intel. They've never seen me play. They've never seen Bobby play. They're just assuming that all these guys are big and strong. They can play basketball. That's dumb. But DK Metcalf's big, strong, and fast. That does not mean you guys know. That does not mean he'd be good at soccer. He could get out there and look like a fool. He, I don't care how fast he runs. He has to know how to play the game. You know, it doesn't mean he can kick or whatever or dribble. You know, like you can't do it. Soccer's hard as hell, right? It doesn't mean just because you're big, strong, fast. That doesn't translate in every sport. Uh, so, I can say that's the part where I get into this arguments about the hoop game. People are so dismissive of the intel I have. I have very unique intel. Like <laughs> none of you guys have seen Joe Fan play. He can hoop. <laughs> like it's very real. Like Chris Kidd is very fast. It can hoop. It can dunk. Or at least get right up there. Chris is like five five. Think about that for a second. So I don't like how people just dismiss the knowledge that I have in this argument. You can say I'm gonna lose. Like even like someone like Kevin Shockey at KJR, he's also seen a lot of athletes play, so he knows as well. Um, but a lot of people just tweet me like, Mike, you guys are tripping. These guys are like pro athletes. Sure, they're not pro basketball players. <laughs> they don't care. You think Bobby can figure skate because he's fast and strong? No, he needs to know how to skate. It's the same thing, you know? So uh, that's of all the things, that part really makes me upset. People are like, Mike, you'll lose just because of this. Like, I've actually seen these guys play. I'm not just talking out of my ass. I, I have some insight. You have none. <laughs> You're telling me what, what you think. So, I mean, it's a long rant, but... It, it would also be, I think, 
the mm-hmm. most athletic article in the history of the athletic, like five media guys going up again. Forget Space Jam 2. That's the movie <laughs> we need. Oh man, that would do so that would do so well. Um, <laughs> and I do I do think we could lose, but Bobby thinks we'd lose like eleven to one. And that is absurd. Like I'll, I'll tell, but I think I've told you. I think John Arsua thinks we lose pretty bad too. It's like anyone my height in this game too. No, I'm not afraid of you at all. Like Bobby, yes, Bobby's a monster. DK, <laughs> monster. I legitimately get like why people are like you guys have no shot. Fine. I look John Arsua in the eyes. I look Quandre <laughs> Diggs in the eyes. I look Tyler Lockett in the eyes. Y'all ain't posting me up. You're not dribbling around me. You know, like I'm not. There's no fear there. There's no, I don't feel outmatched in basketball against those particular individuals. Now, football, duh. No, I'm a peon. Basketball, level playing field. Let's do it. Like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, not, and yeah, I, I hope we live stream it. I hope it's, we, we sell tickets and donate it to like the charity of choice for the winners. Like, make it a whole spectacle. I'm very ready for this. Awesome. Uh, ben, Adam? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so, Mike did preempt me on this one this week. Uh, a lot of cases of I think the uh, one of the NBA guys broke a story, and you shouted them out, Mike, last week in a foul story, and Ian Rappaport replied, quote tweeted it with, "This is true," just as you said <laughs> earlier, just retweet it, just read. Like he's got the information. You you have added anything, and he quote tweeted, "This is." I can't remember what it was. It's the. NBA, one of the NBA guys. Oh, oh, Shams. Uh, Shams broke uh, Jameis Winston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the Saints. And yeah. Rappaport, this is true. I was like, just like, <laughs> come on, man. He did it. And I bet, you, I bet you his tweet got like a thousand retweets. Rappaport's did. Yeah. Just yeah. saying, this adding literally nothing. Yeah. To, to, he, to the he did tweet. it all weekend. I think Dan Cohen, one of our, our Patreon guys, noticed me losing my call with it by Sunday night. But yeah, it's, 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 it's the word. He's always 20 seconds late and he's always, this is true. It's just, come on. Adam? I got three. Uh, the oh. first one is, as it is combine season, no one's height in the world has ever been measured in four digits. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the fuck is 6051 for someone's height? Oh, that doesn't one. mean anything to anyone on God's green earth. Six zero five one, help me because what's that? What, what is that, that like six five and a and a fourth? I think that? that's what it is. But you just said six foot five and a quarter inch. That makes sense to human beings. <laughs> six <laughs> zero five one doesn't mean a thing to anyone, and that is the first thing that could get so in the bin because it drives me. There's a guy. I'm not going to call him out. There's a guy on Seahawk Twitter who just who does people's measurables and he does it all the time as if like, this is a language that humans understand. No one needs that. Let's just get to normal. So we can, You're we right. can digest. So that's one. The second one is with the Russell Wilson story, people talking about reasons for this and that and whatever. There might be one guy out of a hundred who has a credible reason for blaming Sierra for Wilson wanting to leave. But I guarantee 99% of these people that are saying you have to look at the wife are the same guys that video themselves in their trucks doing ranting videos about something political. They have <laughs> certain certain penchants for two flags to do with America. I'm almost certain about that. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we see right through you. Like give 
A, give Russell Wilson enough credit for being his own man and he can leave without, or, you know, have these thoughts without the view of his wife pushing him one direction. And B, show her some respect for goodness sake and, uh, you know, not push it in that direction because, you know, we can see right through that. Uh, and my third one, you can all come back on uh, on both of those if you want. My third one is actually at our guest, Michael Shonduga, because um, two weeks ago, I sent Mike the perfect picture of a Nando's bag. <laughs> and on the bag, it says, secure the bag on Deliveroo. And that is Mike's catchphrase. And I sent him, it was perfect shot. And I've been waiting all the way through free agency for... Mike to just quote tweet something with my Nando's bag picture and crickets. And so, uh, you know, the, the floor's yours to defend yourself, Mike. I need someone to, I'm trying to think if anyone's done, done what I think is securing it since then. That's a good, cause that was after the first wave when the real money's being thrown out. Oh, it's my fault. Uh, no, I did not. I think, uh, you know, I, I need someone to really, I'm trying to think. I mean, Kenny Gollard got $72 million. US I think it might have been after the Kenny. I, I the Kenny Galladay thing broke while I was doing something. I might have been playing flag football actually. I think you were. Uh, we, were we were we were texting around that time. Yeah, yeah, because I play on Saturdays at like noon. Because I remember telling the homie like, "Hey, Kenny Galladay just signed for eighteen year, eighteen a year." Yeah, I was. So yeah, I wouldn't even. I just looked at it and yeah. Now I do need to use that. I want to use it. I actually might use it today, honestly but not for sports. Uh, Issa Rae, the creator of the show Insecure on HBO, she just signed like a big multi-year deal uh, <laughs> uh, for like to create TV shows. It's like a it was reported like eight figure deal. I might use that. I need to. It's so perfect. I wish I'd have had it at the start of free agency because it would have been perfect for Shaquille. Mm-hmm. That would have been, been the time I'd have used it. But yeah. I, I Is it on me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to come back on the Sierra thing. Sierra, the Sierra. Sierra stuff is like, I actually did, the only person who I heard make a good point about anything involving Sierra and Russell, and this was before our story came out, was uh, it was Bomani Jones on ESPN, which no surprise that he actually had a decent point. I, I, yep. mm-hmm. I think him, Pablo Torre, Mina Kimes um, are some of the better people, you know, talking heads on about anything, um, but particularly sports. He, he made the point that like people like Russ and Brady are married to Tom Brady are married to women that are used to having control in their respective arenas. So like if they want something is not very difficult for them to say, I want the thing and get the thing. So that, like he theorized that like that type of energy can rub off. Mm-hmm. Like if you're Giselle and you want something, it happens for you. There's not any like salary cap or trade provisions <laughs> or contracts that are preventing you from getting the thing, whether you need more talent around you or a certain type of food or an accommodation of some sort, right? Like same thing for Sierra. I think Bomani used the example of if she wants better backup dancers, they just go get them, right? They don't just say, we can't afford new backup dancers or the label makes it happen. So there may be something to the idea that like, if you want this, go say you want it. You know, you know, uh, so I don't necessarily think I don't know how accurate that is. I actually don't think it's very accurate at all. If this is in Russell's case, but I thought that that was like a worthwhile way of connecting the spouses to the situation without just saying your wife runs you, which is great. Like you said, Adam, it's very, very lazy. Again, I still don't think uh, Bo's take is correct in that regard, but I do think it was interesting and not just like totally demeaning to mm-hmm. um, it because what most people do is they they like talk about 
in one way it's like the wife comes from a place of power but that's like a little bit more like controlling and then in Bo's example it's a little bit more like um power that you've like legitimately earned uh I guess I don't know it's a little different but I think my I'm gonna put I don't know the name of the person it's a thing that happened today and it was brought to my attention by um the homie who covers the bills for ESPN his name is Marcel and he quote tweeted some radio hosts in Buffalo mm. who were talking about how they like their toast, mm. which I don't know the full extent of the conversation. It's very weird, but they were like, you know, you cook toast to a certain, you know, uh, color and they were using the skin tones of black women to describe their toast. Like the dude, like one dude was like the host. I don't know his name. I'm going to try to find it. Uh, oh, it looks like he got fired. So let me see uh rob rob lederman maybe let's go with him because he just got terminated uh was like yeah i like my toast like more on the serena williams side um or no i don't like my toast on the serena williams side i'm more of like a halle berry uh he was like i like my toast you know i need a little mulatto in there and then one of the women hosts on the show was like okay what about like a gail king uh shade and it was it's just really gross it's a cringeworthy clip um, looks like, yeah, they looks like someone from there got canned. Uh, so they're not only did they get canned, they're in the bin, uh, as well. Cause that's just like, I shouldn't have to explain to adults why you don't use the skin tones of anybody, but definitely, you know, not black people to like describe your food. I don't describe anything really like they're human beings you know like just say you don't like your toast burnt you don't have to include serena williams in this uh this analogy here so yeah they're that the the name of the show is the morning the bowl. morning bull yeah, the yeah. morning bull yeah which is uh, appropriately named uh, <laughs> for well, sure the, yeah the, the, the funny thing is for for you you guys won't get this but i heard the guy's name and my heart sank because Rob Lederman is quite clearly a Jewish guy. And I've spent the last couple of po- podcasts, you know, with Doug and KJ bringing up my faith and talking about how there's been discrimination against and how I've dealt with it versus how, you know, they've dealt with their situations in, in the league. And then there's people in my faith just saying disgusting things like that. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of just makes it all just the circle, just come back full. And, and like, we go again with this stuff and, I don't know, like it just seems, you know, there's the basketball player who you know used the horrific slur about Jewish people, uh, the Miami, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, and I just yeah, Myers like, Leonard. Yeah, no, throw him. You guys probably put him. Yeah, in. we did yeah, him. Yeah, we did terrible. him. But like, but then like my guys are doing this and I don't know, it just feels like we're, everyone's just going full circle and just, it, I know like we, this is a fun segment or whatever, but it's, it's just, it's depressing as hell. I've, I've got to say. Yeah, I mean, no one's exempt from saying stupid shit. I mean, that's definitely like something we should, all like acknowledge because like it could be a Myers Leonard it could be a Deshaun Jackson you know it could be it could be you know who whoever it could be this guy on this on this on this show yeah this is a white dude um I'm looking at a picture of the of the show but yeah no it's it's oh man it's so it's so bad that was that was really cringeworthy I mean Myers Leonard was too like his excuse that like okay (laughs) this is my last rant for you the the this is not who i am as an apology is so bad mm. especially because you're only apologizing because we caught you yeah 
You know, like that, you're not apologizing because you said the thing. You're apologizing because you got caught saying the thing. Like that means, that implies you say the thing when we ain't around. And the dude from the Mariners is a perfect example. It was like, mm. I think, um, I don't know if he said this is not who I am. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But I do remember that, um, and this is not Larry's fault necessarily, but Larry Stone of the Times had wrote in his column after. It was a good column. But at the top of it, he's like, the Mariners need to get rid of this guy in part to prove that that's not who they are. And it's like, mm, no, not necessarily. This is who you are, Mariners. Because mm. this guy has had a lot of power in your organization for years. And he's elevated in your – and he's not just said this stuff once and it just happened to get recorded. No, he says this stuff all the time. Right? You can even read Ryan Divish had a good timeline after. It's like, no, his sentiments were, are well, like, are, like, well-known not just with him around baseball. He just said them in public. He said the quiet part out loud. It was like when Mike Gundy said that we got to get these kids back in, on the field to fund the state of Oklahoma. And we're just like, oh, oh, you mean like these guys actually generate money, like so we should pay them, right? And it's like, no. He said the quiet part out loud. So, <laughs> like when, uh, so with the Mariners, it was like, no, to fix this is not firing the Mather dude or whatever to prove it's not who you are. It's acknowledging that he is who you are, acknowledging how you got there, and then fixing that. It's not just saying, no, 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 that's not us. Yeah, it is. He's the president. He's been there for a long time. Right? I so feel I, like... Um, that's the Myers, but whoever. In that, in that situation, I feel, I think one of the first conversations you and I had about this whole thing, Mike, a year ago was Deshaun Jackson himself said some abhorrent stuff, but I think you quite rightly explained to me that, you know, from an educational standpoint, he, he genuinely went out of his way to apologize and not give a bullshit apology but he actually went and educated himself and in a way i'm quite cool with that because you can't necessarily change what people have learned but you can certainly change what they do about it in the future when they they're found out yeah and contrition is is easy to like really spot genuine contrition you know like you really can but some stuff is just like it's inexcusable like as much as i think deshaun jackson was like legitimately ignorant like he is still a grown ass man. He quoted Farrakhan, or he quoted uh, Hitler. Yeah, Farrakhan. Like, uh, yeah, Farrakhan quoting Hitler. Like, full stop. Like, you're a grown ass man. If you just don't know not to do that part, <laughs> you know, like that's the same thing with Myers Leonard. Like, I didn't know what that meant. Okay, what did you think it meant then, Myers? Because you said it like you knew it meant something. Mm-hmm. Right? You didn't just say it offhand. You said it like you knew it meant something, and that's the the same effect of like, ah, that's not really who I am. You know, I would just no, no, no. Yes, it is. Admit this is who you are. Because until you admit that, you can't fix like being an addict. You got to get in the room be like, yo, my name is John. I'm an addict. Then you can fix yourself being an addict. You get in there and be like, yo, I'm John. I kind of drink sometimes, but it's not that serious. Mm-hmm. You're not going to fix anything. Mm-hmm. The same thing when you say some stupid stuff like this dude did or the guy who said the thing at the the baseball announcer who like apologized while calling a home run. Um, like, yeah, that was wild. Uh, like, you can't just get up there and be like, this is not represent who I am. And stop saying you a God-fearing person every time you apologize, too. It's like, I am a Christian person, blah, blah, blah. I think the guy who said the racist thing and blamed his blood sugar, uh, like, said uh, he's like a Christian guy. It's like, we don't care how much you love God, bro. Like, apologize because you said something racist. That's, That's not as good an excuse as you guys think it is when people are like, I really <laughs> no. fear God. It, it doesn't... It's, it's the uh, not it's, at all, man. It's the ease, comfort, and confidence. It's like Matt, the male thing, and the Miles anything like the ease he had in saying it, the confidence he had in saying it. He's clear, he clearly has used that before, and 
the Mariners thing is just it's just it's a joke because other thing a lot of people said a lot of people have given up on that team and then you have that just to go okay just like pushing people further and further away from a team which really should be bringing people in the door shouldn't it like more than running people away but um what, one more thing on that I spoke to you on Instagram a couple of days ago about um Judas and the Black Messiah the Oscar nominated film from the Lucas Brothers and uh, a whole host of people Fred Hampton someone who isn't um wasn't really it's not really crossed my radar I was talking to one of my friends the other day about him like he's someone I message you he's someone I want to dive in on and learn more about and read more about but the main thing I could think one of the main things after watching that film is like the shit he did at 20 21 years of age is sort of on the same level as the stuff that Kaepernick has been blackballed for 25 35 40 years ago and he was only what five six years older than Fred Hampton it just kind of brings everything home the whole conversation around Kaepernick is just brought home because that was happening 40 45 years ago with someone even younger than Kaepernick yeah Tupac has some uh, points about that like when you the time to be a fighter and rebellious is like and you in your 20s and when you are young that's when you got it because when you get older you just get defeated you know, like you just lose it because you've been fighting for for uh, for so damn long. But like, yes, I saw Judas and the Black Messiah, and I recently watched uh, The Banker with Anthony Mackie and Samuel Jackson, mm-hmm. which is about they they're, they're in the '60s and they could not they couldn't buy property, and they couldn't well they could buy property, but they couldn't buy commercial property and stuff because they were black. So they had to like buy all this stuff, but use a white guy as the face of the thing and have him take all the meetings and sign all the papers and do the stuff. And in both of those films, and in a lot of films that are like uh, set in a certain time period, they illustrate a very important point that I, I want people to get. And this will be a heavy ending to the show, but it's not that just in America the system wasn't it wasn't designed for us. I mean, us as in black people, it was specifically designed against. And that's a very big distinction there. Where it's just like, ah, you know, when we were talking, we were like, we're making laws about how to get loans for a crib. We just really didn't consider black people wanting houses. No, no, no. They took that a step further and was like, okay, we actually did consider it. And now here is this law that you cannot give a loan to a black person. That is a huge, that's a totally different level of setting the people mm-hmm. back. And then in the banker illustrates that. And in the Fred, in the Fred Hampton film, which is also about uh, Bill O'Neill, uh, it illustrates that as well. It's not that just black people had a hard time fighting for rights with the Panthers. It's that the government actively sought to stop them from doing so. That's a huge difference. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot harder. Like if if the if the hill is very steep that I'm trying to walk up, yeah, that's very hard to walk up a steep hill. If you are pushing me in the stomach while I'm trying to walk up that hill, it's much harder to get up the hill. You know, we were being pushed in the stomach. You know, so I think like movies like that, I'm a huge movie guy. So I've been watching a bunch of them, but I do think that's a very important distinction with all of this, whether that's getting hired as a journalist, whether that's for a lot of spaces for women, black women, whatever. It's not just that a system is not designed with you in mind to succeed. A lot of these are designed with you, like in, intended to fail, which is a lot harder to to overcome, like yeah. exponentially more harder, I think, when you really think about it. Yeah. Uh, it's Adam. I think, as always, I'm looking at the clock and we're two hours in and we, we covered it all. And uh, 
just always so grateful for the superstar's time these days as he uh, <laughs> takes us up the ranks. Hey, yeah. man, I, I appreciate you guys, man. We'll, 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 I do. We'll have to get you on uh, the week after we get Sherm next time. Oh, man, I want to be on with that. I'm still wearing my Polinsky <laughs> bracelet. Nice. Uh, too. Uh, wear it every day. I wore my hoodie. My hoodie's kind of worn. Uh, yeah, I, wore, I wore it too much. I've got two. Uh, and they're both worn. Yeah, that's what I should have. I, maybe I need to get it. I don't know if you guys still sell them. Somebody still has them. Maybe the family does. I, I, haven't, I haven't got I any need, hoodies. I've got T-shirts. Yeah, I need just more because I've... I wore it to play basketball in, work out. And once you do that with stuff, you can't, you can only wash it. And it's yeah. white, you yeah, know, yeah. so well, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Appreciate you guys, man. No, man. Uh, so yeah, massive thanks to uh, everyone who listened and downloaded and commented on last week's pod. It was a wild, wild hour and also me and Adam spent with uh, one of the people we've always went on the pod and Doug Baldwin. Uh, yeah, we've touted that to the hill and back and then back <laughs> up the hill again over the past week. So massive thanks to anyone who, uh, give the time to listen to that mike i'm still um, we're still waiting for your story about uh doug versus revis which you uh you floated that you might be uh writing about uh, yeah i need to i need to i need to yeah because i went back and looked when doug made the claim and doug's correct he had a really good game but i don't think it's the game he thought uh he had i'm doing so much free agency stuff these days <laughs> and doing mock drafts with three picks that it's it's slowing me up but i would i mean that's like a good like fun summer thing because yeah he's he made that very clear. Like I destroyed this guy, and I was like, Mur- "Did you murdered him?" Is what the word he said. Um, but yeah, yeah, also, yeah, yeah. Also, thanks to you as well for giving us a shout out on your um, much higher platform. As we said over the weekend on Man to Man podcast, it was massively appreciated as well. Uh, where can people catch your socials, your writings, and and the brilliant pod you do with uh, Chris Kidd as well? Oh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter at Mike Dugar. That's just the way I pin everything to the top. Like, my stories are in my bio and on my author page. My podcast is always pinned to the top of my profile on Twitter. So like my Twitter is essentially a one-stop shop. So <laughs> at Mike Dugar, you can find quite literally everything I do. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you want to get involved in the podcast, Patreon still open. Patreon.com forward slash the pedestrian podcast. Uh, massive thanks to all the guys on there. Danko and Nick Wright, Dave Sayers, uh, Will Travers, Brogan Clasper, never forget some names, Harry Craig, should have got the thing open. Everyone else, we do massively appreciate it. We had a couple more. Max Lang from the German Seahawks jumped on last week. And Maura Dooley as well from 710 ESPN pledged their support. Until next time, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast. Go Hawks. <laughs>